let's pray together. Almighty Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful that you are a God who knows what we need. The Lord knows our deepest desires even more uh, fully than we do. And Lord, you are a God who satisfies our thirst. Lord, we pray that that living water of the Spirit flow in each of our hearts this morning. And that, Lord, uh, the words of Scripture be seeds to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, you only get three more weeks of Rwanda illustrations, so you've got to really enjoy these. When I think of Rwanda, the rest of my life, a few images will come to mind. The rolling green hills that seem to go on forever, women using a hoe to dig up the dark soil, boxed milk, Katenge dresses. Katenge is that really beautiful colored fabric. And yellow jerry cans, those big yellow cans with a plastic X in them. Hauled along the side of the road on bicycles or motos or on top of someone's head, they're nearly weightless when empty and they're punishing when full. They are everywhere. In fact, I think they sell something like palm oil in them all throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, when, when the palm oil is gone, this is what they use just to carry water around. Uh, and so they're absolutely everywhere. Water, water is the very stuff of life. And transporting it is a major part of the work of the majority of people in Rwanda. Our bodies are something like 75% water. You can survive a couple of weeks without eating, but if you don't drink anything for 24 hours, your body starts to shut down. Your brain begins to fog, your blood pressure rises, your kidneys stop functioning the way that they should. And it doesn't matter where you are from or what culture or country, clean, drinkable water is life. And so those yellow jerry cans are everywhere. And people gather around sources of waters, pumps and pipes and streams to make, to make life everywhere possible. And life, of course, was not so different in ancient Israel. A well is life. It causes life to spring up around it. A town's whole existence is predicated on water. Well, Jesus has been walking for a while because he and his disciples find themselves in Samaria. And Samaria is a relic of a time where the kingdom of Israel in the north was divided from the kingdom in the south. And the kingdom of the north was conquered by the Assyrians with whom they intermarried, and this non-Jewish group of people arose. They understood themselves as Jewish, as, depend, as descendants of Jacob, but they have their own place of worship rather than the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews thought that the Samaritans were kind of like half-breeds. So much, so much so, that Jews usually would rather add a couple of days to their journey going north just to cut around the reason of the region of Samaria. That's how much they disliked it. But strangely enough, Jesus and his disciples are taking the very shortest path right through the middle of this unclean place. So here is Jesus 
thirsty from a hot, long day's walk, and it's high noon. And he sits down at the well, and the woman, when a woman comes to fetch water with a bucket. Now, I, I picture her with a yellow jerry can and an old t-shirt imported from America. Um, now, in addition to the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, it was culturally unacceptable for Jesus to be interacting with this woman in public like this. But Jesus, as was so often the case, is a bit of a troublemaker. And he looks at her and he asks for a drink. And she is understandably taken by surprise. How, how could you ask me something like this? And of course, that's when things get really fun. Jesus says, if only you knew who I am, you would be asking me for living water. If you knew who, you, who I am, you'd be asking me for water, for living water. Now, living water is water that moves like a stream. And it has symbolic significance. It re represents water that is fresh easy to access and not stagnant. It's alive and it brings life. And it's not like the well that they are sitting at, which may have been very deep and very difficult to fetch water from. So Jesus says, look, I am asking you for a drink, but the water that I have is life. Your water is difficult to go and get. The life that I am able to offer you is like a spring that bubbles up to eternal life. Now, every one of us knows what it is like to be thirsty. We understand a longing that is essential to our daily life. But here's the thing. We know what it is like to be thirsty, but we don't always know how to satisfy that thirst. In the case of our bodies, we know we need water or something else that is wet. Without it, our heads pound and our bodies become faint. But humans are not just thirsty for water. We are thirsty for life. We are thirsty for meaning. We're thirsty for relationships. We're thirsty for truth and beauty and goodness. We are thirsty, thirsty beings. We are thirsty for things that are not so easily quenched by water, but gnaw at us just the same. And we try, we try to numb that thirst, to mask them, to satisfy them with other things. But there is just no replacement for water. And there is just no replacement for real life. And at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, it tells us that Jesus is, divine, is the divine logos and that in him is life. Nothing comes into being without him. And Jesus sees this woman at the well, and he knows that she is fetching water, but also that she is thirsty for something that only living water will satisfy, that only he will satisfy. And so he presses her. Woman, where is your husband? Oh, I, I don't have one. Now, earlier, John tells us that he is life and that the life is the light of men and that the light of men shines into the darkness. 
And so Jesus finds the darkness and shame in this woman that she has been hauling around with her like a heavy jug of water. And he finds the place where she is most deeply and desperately thirsty. You are right in saying that you have no husband. You have had five. And now you are living with someone who is not your husband. Now, as a pastor, when I hear this, my gut turns. Because that is a story of pain. It's a story of rejection, of shame, of isolation. And it really doesn't matter the country, the historical context or moment. This is a story, no matter where you are, no matter when you are, of damaged dignity. The woman is vulnerable and hurting. And Jesus, he reaches into that place of shame and brings all of it into the daylight. He reveals how thirsty she is, how desperate. And what does she do? She changes the subject. (laughs) I mean, heck, that's what I would do, right? She changes the subject. She pivots and says, wow, this conversation just hit a little too close to home. You must be a prophet. Let's talk about religion and politics, anything beside what you just said to me. And so she asks him the religious question of the day for Samaritans, which temple is the right one, ours or the one in Jerusalem? But she has no clue who she is asking and how much of a right question it is. A temple is a place where heaven and earth meet. In the Jewish life, it's a place where the presence and glory of God dwells and where the people are connected to God through the offerings of priests. The life of the community is mediated through the temple to God and vice versa. The temple is where people go to find the presence of God. So this, is, uh, so this woman is asking, where is God living? Is he here with us or is he down in Jerusalem? Now, John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But the word here, as I've mentioned several times before, is tabernacle. The tabernacle was the mobile version of the tent. It was the first place where the presence of God and the people were mediated to one another through corporate worship and atonement. So John is telling us that the divine logos, the word of God, becomes flesh to temple with us. This comes into greater clarity when later Jesus stands on the steps of the temple and says that he will tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days, referring to his own life, death, and resurrection. So this woman is asking Where do I go to meet the presence of God? Where do we go find God? And the temple of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Father's only Son is here asking her for a drink. Where is the temple? It's right in front of you. And he's offering you streams of living water. 
And he tells her that salvation is from the Jews, but one day, a day coming soon, you are not going to find God somewhere out there. You will worship him in spirit and truth. Like, for instance, right here, right now. But the image of the living water is not one that is separate from the temple. And that's where our reading from Ezekiel comes in. In our reading from Ezekiel, the prophet is living in a time of desolation, of exile, and of the temple's destruction. But Ezekiel has a vision for how the Lord will restore not only Israel, but the whole world around them. From the altar of the temple, a little trickle of water starts. It starts to flow. And it passes through the temple courts and down the steps and into the city, growing and growing until it's a deep, flowing river of clean, living water. And Ezekiel says that wherever the clean water comes, life swarms. And the Greek, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, you can see that it's the same word used there for swarms as in Genesis 1, to describe creation swarming with life at the word of God. And this living water makes everything around them come to life. And it flows all the way down into the Dead Sea, which is called dead, the Dead Sea, precisely because things do not swarm in it. It's too salty. But this river flows into the Dead Sea and makes it alive. So here is Jesus, the temple made flesh, the place where God and man are perfectly united, and he is offering this broken, barren woman living water that flows from the temple of God. He is offering her water that springs up to eternal life, which will make life swarm in her once again. Now, I seriously doubt that she gathers all of this together, but she certainly senses that something remarkable is happening, and she dares to say the one thing she does know. A Messiah is coming, and when he comes, everything will be made clear. And Jesus says to her, you are speaking to him. Have you ever seen a dam break? I've only seen videos. Um, it, it starts with a little leak, a high pressure stream of water spraying through the wall. And eventually a little crack opens up and then torrents of water tear the wall down. There's no stopping the flood. It rushes down and there is nothing you can do. Well, it's at this moment that the river of living water breaks through the dam of this woman's scar tissue. When the great barrier walls of her heart come crashing down and she is no longer able to hold back. She goes from a woman taken aback by a man even willing to speak to her to someone running into town telling everyone to come meet Jesus. Come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. I want you to think about this for a moment. 
Everyone in this little town knows who she is. That's how small towns are. The story of everything she did, they know how shameful that is. But she doesn't care. What once was her shame has now become her glory. It, is, it isn't anymore her. She runs into town rejoicing because what was once dark, dry, and barren has been made alive by truth, light, and living water by Jesus. What was the source of her shame has become the womb of her joy, and this unclean people come to Jesus and believe in him. Even when so many in Jerusalem don't. And this is what happens when the presence of God arrives smack dab in the middle of our lives. We think that God is out there somewhere, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is not waiting for us to go out and find him. He finds us where we thirst. He meets us in the mundane daily parts of our lives that make our lives possible in our daily bread. And Jesus is not satisfied with you just quenching your thirst for, water, for the water that passes by. He wants the dam to break. He is looking for that darkened place in our heart that we are so ashamed of and afraid for the world to see, where we are barren and lifeless, and he wants to let living water rush in. And we all, we all want to put him at arm's length, maybe with some religious question or political question or something else, anything else, to not talk about the thing that he's bringing to us, to keep the dam from breaking. But you've got to let him in. In our text from Revelation, we see that same river from Ezekiel. Only it, it flows from the throne of the lamb that was slain from Jesus. The trees that grow along the shores of the river have leaves. Leaves that are for the healing of the nations, which of course is a direct, a direct quotation basically from Ezekiel 47. The woman at the well knows the taste of that fruit already. And that is why she runs into town rejoicing. She knows the feeling of that river on her face. Jesus, Jesus is not satisfied with waiting for you to come to him. He is waiting. He is finding you at the well even this morning. Don't leave thirsty. Don't leave without rivers of living water. Pray with me. Almighty Father, we are, we are grateful. Grateful for the ways that you have shown up in the life of this church. That Lord, in places during COVID where we have been 
stretched thin and tired, that, Lord, you are still always abundantly able to give us your abundant life. And we pray for that water to flow into each of us today, to make that water the thing which gives us peace. We pray this in Jesus' name.